Well, hello, hello, and welcome back to the Work Your Grass Off podcast. I'm your host, Erica Strong Rodriguez, and today with me is, drumroll please, that's my drumroll, Dr. Morgan. She is a functional medicine doctor, which, if you don't know, is not like your typical doctor, not like a conventional doctor, which is what we're all used to. You know, that's the one. They kind of bring you in. They push you out, kind of like just a quick appointment. A functional medicine doctor is going to look at you. It's going to look at your person as a whole unit, right? They're going to ask you about your sleeping habits. They're going to ask you about your diet. They're going to spend some time with you, educating you about your nutrition and just kind of really looking for the solution, just kind of getting to the root cause of whatever you're actually going in for. They're not just going to throw some pills at you, some prescription at you. They're going to really educate you and get to the bottom of it. And she also talks about how she partners and she works along with conventional medicine doctors to help the same patient. So she's kind of working with a team to help the one patient. Dr. Morgan focuses on gut, on the thyroid, and on hormone issues, which are um, frequently and common in women. I think she said about 60% of women deal with hormone issues now. Just because I'm saying that these are frequent or that they're common in women, it doesn't mean that they don't also happen in men. In fact, we did talk about how we think that my husband might have parasites strong if you're listening we're trying to help okay i'm not just trying to put you on blast we're trying to get to the bottom of your parasites okay and for any of the listeners right now who grind their teeth at night or clench their jaw you might want to stay tuned because you might also have parasites all right so we talk about that we also talk about how she has built her social media platforms how she has focused on educating her viewers, her followers, and why that's really important. And I know we've touched on this subject before with other guests of the show, you know, bringing value and education, educational content to your followers, your viewers, your listeners, what have you, so that you could build the trust that you could establish yourself as a knowledgeable resource in that field and that they can also get to know you and know you as a person and know that they're going to like you and being they're going to like being around you. This is true for somebody like me in my field. I need my clients to know me, to like me as, you know, we're going to be spending a lot of time together. We're going to be looking at houses together. I'm going to learn a lot about them. Am I the realtor for them? They're going to know a little bit about me if they come and check out my Instagram or my Facebook, right? This is true for somebody like her as a doctor. This is true for me as a realtor. And this is also true for someone like my buddy Carlos over at Jetting Street Social. Hey, plug, free plug, Carlos, who is a barber. And, you know, if my son's going to go and spend an hour with him, if my husband's going to go and spend an hour with him, I need to know that I like him as a person, that I like who he is. And most importantly, I need to know that he knows how to cut hair, right? I need to see the finished product. We're going to talk a little bit about everything in this episode. The general goal is to get you feeling your best self, the best version of you feeling light, feeling good, getting your best sleep, eating your best diet, 
we're going to get you there. Dr. Morgan was really cool to talk to. She was very knowledgeable. I felt like I could talk to her for another hour, but also I just felt like I could go out for drinks with her. You know, she just seems cool. So without any further ado, Morgan, welcome to the Work Your Grass Off podcast. So when you started growing your, your Instagram for your job, did you, mm. was it intentional? Like, did you know it was going to be, I'm going to grow this and educate people. Did you think it was going to take off the way it did or. No, I, I really didn't. I, you know, kind of naive going into it. And I was coming out of my first job out of graduate school mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted more. So I went to, to graduate school for chiropractic thinking that I was going to go into practicing straight chiropractic, being oh. like a lifelong athlete and really struggling with injuries and really only seeing help from getting manual therapy through chiropractic. So that was where my, my mind was. But then right when I, right when I graduated, I became a functional medicine patient and really needed functional medicine care. I was so burned out. Like I was, was the kind of person who was hustling, like burning the candle at both ends, Mm -hmm. you know, honor student, getting the awards and accolades. And also like in the gym, working out really hard after 12 hours of school and clinic and studying. And I just, I was, was flatlined. Like I could hardly get out of bed in the morning. My joints hurt so bad. And my gut was a wreck and I was getting migraines and couldn't feel my hands and feet, even though it was like 96 degrees outside. So I, um, I sought this care from functional medicine provider. And I was like, what is this? She was also a chiropractor. I was like, this is really cool. And I just, I dove head first into pretty much any material I could find. And so at the time I was like going through my functional medicine journey and wanted to share what I was learning at the same time and also sharing how I was doing. So a lot of that actually doesn't exist on my page anymore. I I took it down um, just because I was naive (laughs) at that time and and don't want that floating around. But um, that was really my intention at the onset of social media. And now it's, it's just changed so much from when I started, like the way the algorithm is favoring Mm. certain types of posts now and interactions. And so I'm having to like really wrap my head around doing reels. I can't, (laughs) I did like my first like actual reel this week. Um, Never saw myself having to like creatively direct short uh-huh. silent films like I <laughs> that was not my thing I've um, never done a reel but I've made plenty of TikTok I assume it's like okay. the same thing yes it's I'm I, I don't know TikTok but I would assume it's exactly the same thing like as soon as some other platform does something Instagram's like we need to capitalize on that and make it better and we're going to change the algorithm so yep 100% and there was that time where everybody was trying to make it like Instagram like a Instagram pretty So like, Mm -hmm. if you would open up someone's page, it was like aesthetically pleasing, you know, all the colors were coordinated, not too selfies, not too, you know, and I'm just tired of that. I'm like, I don't have time for that. I'm honestly, also, it's not relatable. It's not relatable. Like when I see that stuff, I'm just like, that's not, that's not one. That's not real life. And like, that's, looks exhausting. (laughs) 
because I'm actually doing it. Like a lot of, a lot of people who are on there are just viewers and they're not actually curating their own content. So that's really appealing. But to me, I'm just like, damn, that is, it looks exhausting. (laughs) Yeah. It's commendable, but I can't do it. I would. And then you get to the point where you're like, stop posting because you want it to look so good. And then finally I was just like, fuck it. I don't care. I just posted a picture of myself. I'm posting another one. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. And it's, there's that piece too, where it's like the more, the more organic and relatable you seem, that's where I have crazy high post engagement. Like if I'm posting something super educational and dry, like not really, doesn't really get engaged, but when, or people don't really engage with it, but I posted a picture of my, uh, my husband and I on our honeymoon. And that was like the most engagement I think I've ever gotten on a post. And it had nothing to do with what I do or what I share. Um, it's just, it's, it's funny. It's, it's, it's a microcosm of the human mind mm-hmm. and most of it is not pretty <laughs> and like showing all of our tendencies and for better or worse. And it's not my favorite place in the world, but I do love really connecting with, with people yeah. on there. Well, people want to see a real person and like, if I'm coming to you because I have a gut health, you know, issues and I find you on Instagram, I also want to know that I like you as a person similar to how if people come to me, because we're going to be spending a shitload of time together looking for houses and I'm going to learn everything about their family and their finances. I think they need to know whether or not they like me. And that's what I've found that I really like about just saying, fuck it. And I post whatever it is that I want to post that day. And it's not perfect. And it's not curated. And it's not, you know, everything that it had to be two years ago, because if that person likes me, if they feel like they can trust me, then good. If I'm not the realtor for them, then great. You know, I want you to have a realtor that you trust. And it, it it's the same for something like your field where you're going to know so much about me, my medical history and all of these things, because I need to know that we're going to be spending some time together. And I like you as a person. Yeah, exactly. And I think I'm, I'm not sure how much you know about like functional medicine and conventional mm-hmm. medicine and how like there's this almost like contempt for each other in our fields, like, you know, functional medicine doctors, we, we really spend a lot of time with our patients and, you know, in initial consultations an hour, we're not like churning people out. Um, conventional medicine tends to look at us like we're almost like witch doctors or (laughs) we're less than because, you know, um, we're teaching people about diets when, you know, farm pharmacology is the way to go, or, you know, like it, none of it's really true. Like we're all trying to help people. But what I think is really great about social media in our field is that it's actually showing people that there is another way, like you can go and get other opinions and see like, what is actually causing your problems? Like the solution is very rarely ever drugs. And so much is so much in, in helping someone heal and get over what they're going through is that deep trust. And like, how do your personalities drive? Like, is that person really going to resonate with you and what you have to say? Are they going to really receive what you're teaching them and what you're telling them? You know, I have, I have clients in the past where we just like, didn't click you know? And so they, they didn't want to take the things that I wanted to say. And I was, and I've, I've thought to myself so often, like, how, how would this have been different if they knew me or like allowed me to see into them and, and actually build a relationship first, instead of just jumping into the, 
patient doctor relationship that so often we've been trained is very like authoritative, um, almost like dictating to you what you should be doing. And I think that social media is a great way to be able to see that person before you jump into that really intimate relationship, like you were saying. And to kind of understand how you work, like if they're going to want to come in and get something prescribed, then maybe they're going to say, you know what? I don't think this is the girl for me. I think I'm, I need to go somewhere else. Right. Do you feel like more people are shifting to the mentality of functional medicine? Um, it, it, there's definitely a trend upward. So I think that's one of the silver linings that came out of last year was that there were so many mixed messages coming from the medical field Mm -hmm. that people had no choice, but to kind of question what, uh, what the, like the authorities were saying, like, there's gotta be different information. And again, social media really helped I think open people's eyes and being like, oh, okay, so that person's in an authoritative position, but so is this person. And they're saying different things about the same exact issue that we're all experiencing. Um, So that I think that really shone a light to a lot of people that was like, had coronavirus not happen, that wouldn't have occurred. So Yes, I do think there's an uptick in people who are interested. I also think that before that happened, there was because people are just tired. Like you look around and more than ever, people are tired and they're sick and they're anxious and they're unhappy and they, they want to know why, you know, they're tired of the, just the same answer of, oh, well, here's a medication. And then they take the medication, they get more symptoms from that then they just get stacked on medications. That's how I was like at 19, I was stacked on six different medications. And I just like one, one night I was, I could not stay asleep. And I was so just anxious in my thoughts. And I was on like an anti-anxiety medication. I was like, Mm. this is crap. Like if I continue down this road, nothing's going to change. And I'm just going to get worse because all these synthetic I'm taking all these powerful synthetic substances to help me. And I don't really feel all that better. Um, and I, I think that's really where the, the tipping point is, is in the, almost like the fatigue, like the general societal fatigue of not getting better answers. Yeah. And when my husband and I um, were looking at marriage counseling, they um, before like before, like as soon as we met the guy, in fact, it was during like the pand- pandemic. So we had to do telehealth or, you know, virtual. Mm-hmm. I mean, first session, he was saying this person needs to take antidepressants. This person needs to take this anxiety medication, this person. And we were like, no, like we're literally fine. <laughs> we just want to communicate oh a little bit better. You know, like yeah. it was just, we just want to communicate, you know, we want to strengthen different parts of our relationship. And we were just like, okay, hold Like this isn't going to work. And then also let's talk. Then we talked about like, how quick were they to just throw pills at us? I know. I know. And it's, it's really tragic. Like I, I view that as really tragic. And again, like they are trying to help people, but that's their tool. Like that's their toolbox. They're not, 
um, in, in the A by like conventional practitioners, they're taught to prescribe. Like they're not taught, they have one credit hour of nutrition. Like you can barely scratch the surface on the power of food in that amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their schooling is, is funded by pharma. So like, why would ask. they, why would they learn anything else? Like that's, that's follow the money trail. And that's really what's happening. And again, I'm not vilifying anyone. I, I do want to emphasize that because there is a time and a place. Like I work with medical practitioners and getting patients on drugs that are going to get them out of the, the dark spots. Like had I not had, you know, the, the anti-anxiety medication that I, I really needed at that point in my life to help get me out of a depression, I might not be here. And so I'm not saying that that's bad, but that's not our first step. And that's not our only step. So like, I saw something today on Instagram, of course, it was like, if your doctor's not asking you about your sleep, your diet, you know, the, the kind of things you're reading and taking in and the people you're hanging out with and in your day-to-day habits, then you have a drug dealer. Like you, you don't actually have a doctor because they're not teaching you anything. And that's really what the word doctor means to Torres is a Latin word for to teach. So you like when anybody who's listening, when you're looking for a practitioner, like look for somebody who's going to work with you or has a team of people that can help you in all these different facets. Like you can get better and you can overcome whatever you're dealing with and, and live in a lighter body that you're not plagued with fatigue and and anxiety and acne, gut issues, you name it. There's, there's always another layer to peel back. So how, how can I, if I go to my doctor, how do I, how can I tell if they are more functional or more conventional? Um, you'll pretty much know right away. Um, I would, I mean, most traditional MDs will never like come out and say like, I'm a functional practitioner. If they do in fact are like, have that functional mindset, they will advertise that somewhere because it's definitely something that people want. Like I said, there's definitely, there's a shift that's happening or people are actively seeking that out. Um, so like you're going to know that before you go to the doctor. Um, but asking questions is the, the best place to start for understanding your doctor's mindset. Cause like I said before, there's, there are physicians who are very authoritative, very, you know, um, like dictator, like where I'm the doctor, you're the patient, this is how it's going to go. Um, and I think that mode is really outdated. Like you want to ask questions as many questions as you can, um, to really understand what's going on. And if that doctor is going to work with you and you can fire your doctor, like these people work for you. I work for my clients. Like I, I want to do my best to, to get you to where you want to go. It's not just a 15 minute appointment where I write you a script and you're out the door. And then I don't see you for three months. This is a teamwork type thing. If there's a test you want me to, to write for you, like, let's do that. If there's something you really want to try, I think it's appropriate speak up, ask questions. Like that's really the number one thing is being an advocate for yourself and watching how that doctor responds. I was going to say, I translated at the hospital here for a short while. And there was one time that it was for an oncologist and it's a little bit different, but 
for example, in Mexico, when you're, when you're diagnosed with cancer, you don't eat meat, you don't eat sugars. You, it's a very, it's vegan plant-based clean diet here. They still will recommend X amount of meat a week. Me having this personal experience in Mexico, I was kind of like, wait, they're still going to eat meat. You know, I was just kind of hold on a second. Not only that, but this, um, this older couple, they were really having a hard time with all of the medication. Like they could, you can tell they could not keep track of it. They were in tears. Mm -hmm. I don't even think that doctor looked at them once. I remember leaving there feeling just so helpless. So like my hands were tied. I couldn't do anything for them. And it's not my place. You know, my place is just to translate, but I just remember feeling like if those were my parents, I would be very upset with them, with that doctor. Very, very upset. Uh, yeah. And, and unfortunately I hear stories like that all too often. And, and with what I do and I, I work strictly with women with hormonal issues, like thyroid issues, hormonal imbalances, PMS, PMDD, perimenopause, all, you know, the, the hormonal gamut, but I hear so often, and I just posted about this yesterday. Is that like, my doctor checked my thyroid, my thyroid is fine. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, did you ask any further questions? Like what all did you test? What all did you look at? And um, so often they're just brushed off and mm-hmm. that's not fair. Like if that is the way you're the, and, and this is how, what's really going to drive change in medicine is when people really start advocating for themselves instead of just kind of like laying back on their heels and just like going along with whatever their doctor says, says like you can push back and there's, there's so much gaslighting that goes on in, in doctor's offices of like, Oh no, like that's in your head or, um, gosh. Yeah. Like, like when women are like, I have anxiety and I'm on birth control pill, which is known, like there's studies that show that, you know, the birth control pill and hormonal IEDs implants create anxiety and depression. And the doctors are like, no, not the birth control pill. No, just like, okay. Okay. Like, like it's totally harmless. And then they, they'll put them on, on an SSRI, which adds insult to injury and disrupts their gut, which is where really mood and how we feel starts. And I hear it, I hear it all the time. And again, I feel like I'm just like nagging on what's wrong, but like what it really change really starts with the patient. When we start pushing back and being like, no, this is really what I'm experiencing. That's when those practitioners are going to change. And eventually medicine is going to have to improve because we get fed up with it. Well, and we're so informed now. I mean, I think most of us go into the doctor's office and we're like, this is what I think I have. And this is what I think I need. And then yeah, then you get gaslighted and then you're still left in the same spot. I hear all the time how many times um, my friends had to go to different doctors. Like I had to go to this one, had to go to this one, I had to go to this one. And it is, you know, a lot of it now that I'm thinking about it is for issues around hormones. Yeah. How common it, like how many women or what percentage of women are facing hormonal issues and we just don't know it? I would venture to say around 60% in America. That's a lot. That is a lot. Um, our hormones dictate everything. Like they, that is how our body communicates. So, you know, our ovaries secrete estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, like 
what happens if the ovary doesn't just stay there. It doesn't just stay in the area of the uterus. Estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone go all over your body, to your brain, your bones, your hair, your skin, like every single organ system in your body needs hormones and for them to effectively communicate with each other. They are, they are signaling molecules. What's going on and what's creating all these issues, one is rampant stress. So stress is anything that can really throw us out of homeostasis. So that natural balance in our body. So there's good stress and there's bad stress and they come in tons of different forms. And regardless of what they are, your body's still perceiving it as stress. So, you know, like getting married, like, like Mm -hmm. I just did super exciting, also ridiculously stressful. Like that is a, that is a good stress, but my body doesn't know the difference. And so like, I'm still pretty much recovering from that adrenaline rush of months of planning and organizing. Then the act of getting married, honeymoon, like all those things really built up in my system. And so I'm having to take some time to really like dial back my exercise Mm -hmm. because that can be a stressor. I'm sleeping more to help my body recover from the stress, like eating inflammatory foods. That's a form of stress taking pharmaceutical, like heavy pharmaceutical drugs, like SSRIs and and hormonal birth control, like that's a form of stress. What are so, the SSRIs? What are those? So that is the, that's the most commonly prescribed anti-anxiety medication. So, um, it's a drug that helps serotonin stay within the synaptic cleft. So that's the area between two neurons where neurotransmitters communicate to the nerve to send signals down. So when it just kind of like hangs out in that cleft, um, our brain perceives that we have a consistent source of serotonin or our happiness kind of contentment neurotransmitter. So we don't feel anxious or sad. So that's just, I mean, reader's digest version of how those work, but extremely commonly prescribed and they're, they're hard. They're tough on our system, um, and, and tough on our gut too. Serotonin plays a huge role on our GI tract. What about something like Adderall? Because I feel like everybody and their mom is on Adderall. Oh yeah. Um, gosh, I think I'd take over the world if I was on Adderall. Um, (laughs) Adderall. Um, so that's an amphetamine and like, I remember my biochemistry professor being like Adderall's because like, I think he, I think he found like a tablet on the floor from like one of the students when I was in grad school and he was like, oh, I, you know, I remember this. And he's like, you know, this is one carbon away from meth, which is not all that far away from uh, like methamphetamine. That's hmm. that's what a methyl group is, is, is a carbon hydrogen group. And amphetamines are these stimulatory drugs that kind of keep us wired and focused. Um, so yes, that is an added stressor. <laughs> is it really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I understand that there are people who greatly benefit from it. And, um, if you are taking it all the time and you don't ever like cycle off of it, or you're not supporting yourself with added B vitamins and magnesium, because these drugs, like they're, they're not necessarily harmless. They can deplete you of, of essential nutrients, especially birth control really, really depletes the B vitamins um, there, 
Yes. So like bottom line is yes, they, they, it's like drinking coffee consistently or like it's, it's not all that different from cocaine. Like, (laughs) wow. Yeah. Then, so then you're taking birth control, Adderall or what, you know, whatever the Mm anti-anxiety that's stressing your body out, which is causing hormonal issues or gut health issues. Both. So all of our systems are really tightly connected. There's really no separation between them. Like we're in, in Western society, we're very much conditioned to believe that like, if I have kidney issues, I'm going to go to a nephrologist. If I have hormone issues, I'm going to an OBGYN or an endocrinologist. Like they're siloed into all these different categories, but there's really no difference between what's going on in the gut and what's going on in the brain, what's going on with your hormones. So, um, we'll start, we'll start with, we'll go back to stress and the hormones. So there's what we call the HPA axis or what it's most commonly referred to as the HPA axis. There's, I call it the HPATG axis, which includes some other glands. So the brain is a big gland, basically one big gland that's sensing and perceiving all this information that tells you to secrete certain hormones and go to the different places, different glands to secrete more hormones to get the right response that we need. When we are stressed out, that HPA axis is basically on hyperdrive trying to keep you safe. So that's really the, um, the primary drive of this communication system of this axis. When the body doesn't feel safe, when we're not getting enough sleep, when we're nutrient depleted, when we're dehydrated, when we're running on, you know, fumes from work, from working out too hard, from mother-in-laws, you name it. Um, this axis gets pretty much overstimulated and it can become quote unquote fatigued or resistant to certain hormones to really try and protect your body, to basically turn your body into airplane mode or onto airplane mode to conserve resources, to keep you from, to keep you surviving. Um, so energy gets shunted from all these extra things like your hair, skin, and nails and your reproduction, because when you're not safe, it's not time to reproduce. Like if, if the host is not safe, why would we give any energy towards reproduction? So that's really where the kind of the, the pivot point of our hormone imbalances come from is just this chronic stress and toxins from every direction we can think of really. So all of this is going on, like your body's stressed, but do we know that we're stressed? How are, like, how do you feel? Is it just your hair is falling out? You have acne or do you feel stressed? So the, are you saying like personally or? (laughs) Yeah. Like I, I guess what are the symptoms? Like if you've got this stuff going on, but you're not thinking anything about it because you've been on Adderall or birth control or whatever for so long. Yeah. What are some things that you could be experiencing? Um, so for on birth control, that might, my answer would change, but if, if you're not in any form of birth control and you're having true natural cycles, you're a woman, like these, the, your menstrual cycle is a vital sign. Like this is telling us how really how healthy you are. Are you chronically inflamed? Are you chronically stressed? Like how regular is your cycle? Are you within, you know, a 26 to 32 day cycle range? Are you bleeding for, you know, three to five days, maybe six days? Are you clotting? Are you hemorrhaging? Like how bad are your cramps? 
these are all ways that we can look at how healthy we are through our cycle. So that's one of the reasons I love, love, love cycle tracking is because at, you know, at the end of our cycle month, when our period starts, it basically tells us like, Hey, how did you, how did I do this month as far as taking (laughs) care of myself? Like a grade. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's your report card. It's your monthly report card. Um, but if you're, if you're on birth control or, you know, you're, you know, you're listening to this and you're like, you know, am I really stressed? Certain things are, are going to be more evident. The other, how's your mood? Like if you are, if you feel like you're, you know, always waiting for the other shoe to drop, that's like one of the main symptoms of, of anxiety or being in that hyper alert HPA over activation state, like, you know, your body doesn't feel safe. So it's, it's basically telling you to look around the corner and expect something bad to happen, um, to protect you. So that's, that's one of them, but like tension in the muscles, tightness in the muscles, uh, poor sleep. So either can't fall asleep, can't stay asleep or don't feel rested when you wake up. Um, it can show up in food cravings. So craving really crunchy things is a way that we deal with stress, like chomping on food um, or ice, excuse me, like chewing on ice. Um, sugar cravings are another one because the fastest way for nutrients to the brain is through carbohydrates. And that's really not what our body really wants to thrive on. It wants to thrive on more, mostly protein, fat, and salt. But like, if, if we're in survival mode, getting carbohydrates in is, is the fastest way for your brain to know you're not in famine. Um, yes, you will see, you know, changes in your skin, whether that's like a loss of, of tension and turgor, or like your skin starts to kind of sag a little bit. Um, acne is another manifestation of stress. I mean, there's, there's many, many manifestations, digestive issues, So we hold a lot of stress and tension in our solar plexus, right? Like right where our belly button is. So we can either get um, too fast of motility. So we are GI tract is like, I am, I am running on hyperspeed. So my digestion is just going to fly through here, or we can hold tension in constipation type symptoms. So there's, there's many manifestations what I'm trying to say. So if I come to you and I'm like, I think I have gut issues because I'm bloated, I have acne and I can't sleep. What do we like? What's the first thing you would say to me? Um, we would definitely do a much more thorough investigation. So we'd look at your health history, kind of figure out when all this started and like what was going on in your life when all this started. Mm-hmm. We go into a dietary analysis. I like doing food journals prior to our initial consultation to see like, what, what are you eating? What time are you eating? Like how fast are you eating? What are you, what are your emotions that you're experiencing while you're eating and any symptoms that come up around the time that you ate, whether it was like a headache that came on three hours later or like, you know, Hmm. bloating after eating. So very in-depth symptom analysis. And then based on that, that's where I'll formulate a plan of testing. So Initial phase of testing, it's almost always blood work to look at hormones and nutrients and like classic metabolic panel, lipid panel, those kinds of things, making sure that you've got at least the healthy foundations there and stool tests, organic acid tests, hormone tests, um, based on, on what I think is the next most appropriate step for you. 
So we, we absolutely talk about dietary changes and how we can optimize that for you with what you're already consuming. So it's not, we're not making huge, massive sweeping changes unless we need to, we make gentle changes in a way that is not going to feel like a massive life overhaul. Cause that's more stress, right? Like having somebody being like, you can't eat X, Y, and Z. And those are the only three things you're eating. And then you have to go figure out a whole entire new diet like that. It's really stressful too. So really working with the individual instead of being like, this is what's in every single randomized controlled trial we've ever seen. So this is what you're going to do. It's like, how, you know, how do you live your life and, and where can we find the, the tweaks to really optimize around you? Is there, in your opinion, an optimal diet? Like, do you think the plant-based diet is optimal or ideal? (laughs) No. What do you think is the, what do you think is the ideal diet, generally speaking? So this is a really good question and it is really different for, for everyone. Um, and that can be seen as a cap out answer. I totally know. Um, I don't necessarily agree with plant-based eating like widespread. Should we be eating mostly plants? Yes. Do we need to be careful of what plants we're always eating? Yes. So a wine, a, a, a wide variety diet that's, you know, mostly seasonal, but also consuming healthy sourced, well-sourced meats, because those are really the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. Like you are never going to find another source of food that has enough B vitamins, zinc, um, healthy, really quality omega-3 fats that are going to support healthy brain development and, and sustainability and your hormones. And, um, like, especially, especially zinc, like zinc is, is one of those minerals that is so, so important. And we're just not getting that in the plant-based diet. And when we're not getting zinc in the way that we should, and you, I mean, you can definitely supplement with it, but getting it in a food source is really the best mode of, um, operating. If we're not balancing our plant intake with zinc, we are going to be have an excess of copper. There's really no way around it. Copper is very plentiful in plant foods. And when we have an imbalance in copper and zinc, it can really manifest in our hormone symptoms. So zinc is really essential for gut health too, like our gut health lining. So our our gut lining health, excuse me. So to, to answer your question, like ideally, mostly, mostly as close to nature as possible. So mostly plants and meat as condiments, like not like these giant, you know, <laughs> like the main, um, not sirloin the main. steaks. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, not the main dish. Right. Um, and you can eat, you know, you can eat eggs if you can tolerate them. Like life, I have a, I, I wouldn't say I have a dogmatic view of, of diets. Like there, there are definitely some hard and fast rules that you know, I, I stick with for myself. And these are things that people really need to, to look at with their, what are your own diets? So I do not eat gluten at all. So that's, we're not doing bread or right. Wheat, barley, and rye. Like I, it does not work for me. And if I even have a little bit, 
like days later, I'll be anxious and I'll have headaches. And Wait, wheat, barley, and rye is what you can eat or you can't eat. So, I mean, I can eat it, but I choose to stay away from it. So okay. that's, that's where the kind of like psychology piece comes in with okay. around food is like, when you tell somebody like, oh, I can't eat that, then you're mm-hmm. going to want to eat it more. So like <laughs> I choose not to eat gluten because it just doesn't jive with me. And there's plenty of research that shows that consumption of grains are in, in, especially in the way that we're doing in America is not beneficial to us at all. Especially if you have autoimmune disorders, you're probably going to thrive off grains period. The way that they're cultivated, harvested nowadays are, they are not sustainable and even recognizable by the human body. Is there a bread that you think is good? Like like a, the sprouted or, you know, cause they have all those expensive breads now and it makes me feel like it's okay for my body. <laughs> so if it, I mean, if you, what, I, what I would recommend everyone to try is an elimination diet. And this is really the gold standard of figuring out what works for you. And that's eliminating the, the top allergenic foods from your diet for five to six weeks, and then slowly reintroducing one food group at a time back into your diet. So that five to six weeks time is generally where we see some detox reactions. Maybe, you know, you don't feel great because your cells are starting to purge some of the junk that you've been eating that doesn't jive with you, but then you start to feel good and you're like, oh, wow. You know, I, I didn't realize I actually felt bad. That was my case. Like when I started changing my diet, I was like, oh, I didn't really realize I did a, like a cleanse type thing. Um, mm-hmm. in grad school. And I, I, I just, I didn't realize how, how crummy I felt, how heavy I felt. And so I slowly started adding different foods back in. And when I added dairy in and gluten in, I was just like, Whoa, I cannot have, yeah, okay. I cannot have these foods anymore. Other common ones are eggs, nuts, soy, corn. Um, those are really the top ones that we see. And part of Part of the reason is because these things are in everything and you can really easily overconsume these types of foods. So that's why diet variation is really important. If we're eating mostly bread and cheese and, you know, drinking milk and having yogurt, like I was when I was a kid, like I would drink half a gallon of milk a day and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Like that was my diet. Your body's going to have a really low tolerance to those kinds of foods where you're, that you're consuming all the time. It's just inundated with it. So we can develop food sensitivities from overconsumption there. Um, and, you know, I had my, in my childhood, I was super sick. I was sick all the time. I had probably strep throat six or seven times a year because when I was an infant, I was on a bunch of antibiotics for chronic ear infections. And so that just like wrecked my gut from an early age where I, you know, I was just trying to develop my immune system. Like when we're, when we're infants, we don't have really much of an immune system. And what we gather is what we gather from our mother, from her breast milk, from latching onto her nipple and from experience in the world and picking up dirty things and putting them in her mouth. And that's, that's how we develop our immune system. But mine was being wrecked by antibiotics. So I was not set up for success <laughs> um, when I was a kid and went into puberty with already already having gut issues. Like I was constipated all the time. So my foundation for hormonal health and for a healthy puberty was not there. And 
you know, it, our gut health is really the, the nucleus of our whole health. And that's, that's why it's so important. That's why I talk about it with every single one of my clients. Um, I just got off onto a big tangent. I'm sorry. I forgot. <laughs> no, that's okay. Is I, the gut is like the second brain mm-hmm. I've heard, but I feel like it controls so much of your body mm-hmm. that it's, well, I mean, yeah, I guess your second brain, but it controls more, I think, than we all realize. Like I just had a conversation with this girl who worked in, uh, she does colonics. Do you know mm-hmm. what those are? Okay. And she said she sees three motors. So it's like the head, um, you know, your heart area, and then the gut region. And if those things, one of them's out of line, right. Then the whole machine, your body is not working. hundred yes, percent. So that, yeah, that's definitely like the energetic kind of standpoint, but it's a great visual. Um, what's, what's going, why the gut is so important. One is like you were spot on. It's the second brain and it's, I, I call it our primal brain because we can often perceive things before our brain even recognizes them based on our gut feelings. Like that's why it's called a, a gut instinct. So I like how many phrases in the English language do we have about what we're feeling in reference to our gut. So there's like got butterflies or we've got a knot or a pit in my stomach. So that's like our, our, our GI tract, it has its own very own nervous system, the entire nervous system. And it's very tightly connected to our brain comes from the same embryonic tissue. So there's a, a big old nerve. It's called the vagus nerve that goes from our brain to our gut from our gut to our brain. And 90% of those neurons in that vagus nerve go from our gut to our brain. So if that doesn't highlight how important our gut health is just for our brain health alone, like not with, you know, everything else that the brain controls, I don't know what does like, it's just, it's constantly getting, the brain is constantly getting information from our GI tract. And on, on top of that, the microbes, like our microbiome in our gut is this whole jungle, this whole ecosystem of bugs, good and bad that are trying to produce our neurotransmitters, produce our, our vitamins like vitamin K and serotonin, um, that are so critical for hormonal health and whole body health and mental stability. So like, it's funny. I had this conversation with a woman who called me about her son who had just like crippling anxiety. And I was like, well, what's his diet like? And she's like, what does that have to do with anything? You know, I'm like, it has everything to do with it. Everything. And I notice it, like I said, even if I have a little bite of, of gluten and, you know, days later, I'm more anxious and on edge and irritable than I should be. And like, I, I just can't imagine what kind of world we'd be in if we gave our, our guts the respect they deserve, like how much kinder we'd be to each other and um, how much more sane we'd be if, if we really focused on gut health. Yeah. Because you're not feeling crummy. Right? Yeah. That's <laughs> a big part of it too. Like if you're just not feeling good in your gut and you know that like, Honestly, I don't know if people know that because I don't know if they know how good they can feel. And that was where, that was where I was, you know, I, when I, before I did that cleanse, I was like, I don't, I don't think I need this. It was like a thing we did in in one of our classes. And 
I, when I was done with it, I was like, holy crap, I don't think I've ever felt this good in my whole life. And there's so many people walking around who don't even really realize that they're not feeling good. It's like everywhere we look, there's somebody complaining about heartburn and fatigue and headaches and period problems. And it's like, just because it's common does not mean it's normal. Like you can thrive. You can absolutely thrive and have wake up feeling great and have stable energy throughout the day. Like it's totally possible. So what are, we're, we're cutting out grains, dairy, (laughs) eggs, nuts, soy, and corn or an elimination diet. And then you want to slowly add them back in. So when, when people think about food allergies, they often think about the immediate reactions. So like the hives, the swelling, the throat closing up. So that's, that's what we call an IgE mediated, um, mediated food sensitivity, food allergy. You're going to know if your throat's closing up, like you're going to know if you have that food allergy, right? So there's also IgG mediated. So these are just different types of immunoglobulins, immune proteins that are activated when we consume certain foods that don't really drive with us. So the, the IgE reaction is a delayed reaction. So like I said, when I eat gluten and a few days later, I don't feel great. That's really when that reaction shows up. So this is why after an elimination diet, it's really important to add those foods in slight, like slowly. So I give like five days, seven days at a time for just one food group. Gauge your reactions, see how your digestion shifts, see how your energy shifts. If you get headaches, um, you know, skin changes, if you get any redness or maybe joint swelling will show up. Um, these are, these are all different ways that this can manifest when I, um, I tend to clench my jaw. If I've had gluten, like a few, a few days later, like I just, I feel tense, like almost like a static tension in my, my muscles. My husband grinds his teeth all night and all he eats is I'm going to, I'm going to put him on blast. I'm going to put him on the spot, but (laughs) most people know this about him. He doesn't eat a whole lot of vegetables. And when I say a whole lot, I mean, he eats corn and he eats green beans and sometimes he'll eat edamame and that's it. And he eats meat, cheese, bread, pasta, and a bunch of sweets. And that's it. Yeah. And he's always, he wakes me up because how hard he's grinding his teeth. Wow. Oh my gosh. I know. I need to have Does he really crave dairy? He really craves cheese. He loves cheese. I don't know if he loves it so much as he used to, because I haven't seen him. I haven't seen that part of him again, like the, oh, I just really want like, you know, whatever, a bunch of cheese on it. But he does crave, I think a lot of sweets. And I think he's like recognizing it now. And mostly carbs is what he craves. Just bread, pasta, that kind of thing. Yeah. Be good. Really good to have a gut workup on him. Um, teeth clenching can, can be a side effect of parasitic infection, parasitic overgrowth. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. And, but like, that sounds really scary. Like anytime I say that people are like, what, but if you're a human, you have parasites, that's just the facts of the matter, but it's when they become opportunistic that it creates a problem. So like ringing in the ears, clenching in the teeth, that can be, um, like, does he have any tinnitus, any ringing of the ears and all Yeah, that you're aware of? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'd be surprised or I wouldn't be surprised if he had 
uh, some parasite. parasite. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because when I was talking to Sophie, who does the colonics, she gave some symptoms of, and I just keep putting him on blast, I guess, over here. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. We're just trying to help. What do you think about like your ancestral diet? See, because my, since I'm Mexican, we ate a lot of corn and beans and rice. So am I mm-hmm. still eliminating corn? Uh, I think it would be beneficial. So your the corn now does not look like your ancestors mm-hmm. corn. So that's kind of what I was hinting at when, when I was mentioning wheat, like our grandmother's corn or corn and wheat does not look like our corn and wheat. And that's why gut issues are rampant is because partially because of the genetic modification of all these crops, they were like great intentions to modify them to be really sturdy crops. So we could feed a growing nation and all of our troops and um, really have um, like famine sturdy crops that we could grow or um, drought sturdy crops. The problem is, is that when those proteins, those new DNA strands that are different than ancestral wheat interact with our bodies, they're so sturdy that it creates, it's, it's difficult for our bodies to break it down. So it creates inflammation and, um, and, and gut issues and disrupts our, our gut lining or healthy gut lining. So that's part of the problem. And then those genetically modified crops only really respond to certain pesticides. And those pesticides are just are wreaking havoc on our health. And we actually don't even know to what extent they, they are just yet. But the things that are coming out is, is pretty horrifying. Um, like, for example, glyphosate, that's probably the most popular one that's gotten a lot of um, buzz around it. Um, it's in Roundup and it's the most widely used pesticide on the market. So that was developed to be a metal chelator. So that was used in industrial uh, properties and in pipes to pull um, like gunk out of these pipes. So imagine that going through your GI tract. Yeah, they're spraying that all over our crops. So it's they're they're depleting our soils of of the minerals that we need like magnesium and and zinc that we you know we could have gotten through crops but we're just not anymore because our our soils are so depleted so there's just lots of problems with it um and like it, it so to the the ancestral diet like yes there is some truth to that but not all corn and not all wheat is created equally right so there there's very um there's very few companies that do provide like heirloom ancestral products these days that could be less offensive like i i lived in europe for a little bit and in certain places i could eat gluten and totally be fine. And a lot of people will say the same thing. So like, I don't have celiac disease. What I would say is I have like non-celiac gluten sensitivity, but only to certain types of gluten and certain sources. So I, you know, a lot of people are just reacting to the glyphosate or reacting to the pesticides that are on the wheat. 
um, and not actually reacting to the gluten protein itself. So that's probably what's going on with me, but we see it a lot regardless. Like we can't really separate that out from so many of the crops that we're consuming. So if I wanted to, if I'm not in your state and I want to go to you to help me because I like what you teach mm-hmm. and I like, you know, your personality, can I still do that? You know, like through what telehealth or whatever it's called. Yep. Absolutely. I actually went entirely virtual last year, like oh, cool. many other people. So I've got, um, I have clients all over the States and all over, all over the world. Really. I have clients in several different countries, but most test kits are now shipped to your doorstep. So like stool tests, urine tests, we can do that. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm contracted through different kinds of blood test labs where I can just email you a requisition. You can just go have your blood drawn. So mm-hmm. there's, um, yeah, there's, there's ways around the distance. Simple enough. I was going to ask, yeah. <laughs> what are some small things that we could do every day that we could either incorporate or eliminate even from our everyday life to take care of our gut, take care of our hormones, take care of ourselves? Yeah. Great question. So I, I want to emphasize how important our mindset is like you can do all these steps, but if, if your mind is not in the right place, like very few of these things are going to work. And it's, it's kind of the cycle that, you know, if your mind's not in the right place, you're doing the things like probably not going to help, but if you're not doing the things, your mind's probably not going to be in the right place. So, you know, so you can, it's very easy to get in the cycle, But when I say like, I want your mindset to be in the right place, I want it to be coming like these steps and doing these steps is coming from a place of self-love and self-care. Like you're not beating yourself up. You're not broken, like really shift out of that victim mindset because you are totally in control of so much of what's happening in your life. So that being said, really respect sleep, like cannot emphasize that enough without sleep, your brain is just going to be mush. Like that's just how, that's just the fact of the matter. Um, really great book. I absolutely love it. It's called why we sleep by Matthew Walker really highlights why this is so important. When we lose sleep for just one night, our, our frontal lobe. So that's the the front part of our brain that where we make our executive or executive functioning, our decision-making drops dramatically, like scary. And I wish I had the, the, the number, but it, it's a scary amount of how poor decision-making is after just one night of poor sleep. So things, steps to respecting sleep are things like getting off the screens at night, like read actual books, not on a device, not on your, your iPad, turn off the Netflix, like make your house a little bit darker, cool your room down to like in the sixties, set your environment, set yourself up for a better next day by really respecting sleep. Shoot for eight hours. I know some people don't require all that much, but really giving yourself a solid eight is going to set you up for success the next day. Is there too, is there such thing as too much sleep? Because I feel like if I sleep more than five hours, I'm worthless. Like I feel, I feel groggy. Really? Yes. Okay. So you're probably you're the anomaly. Like there, there are, there is a certain phenotype. So like a gene type that doesn't require as much sleep. 
I am not that type. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, there is like too much sleep can, can cause issues. So try going back to what I said about the, your body wanting to feel safe, giving your body a sleep routine and giving it rest when it needs rest is one of the kindest ways that you can go about assuring your nervous system that you are safe. Yeah. Sometimes I will feel the need to sleep in a little bit longer. And then I, you know, if my schedule allows it, I try to sleep in just, you know, an hour more, I go to bed a little bit earlier, but I think what I'm lacking is routine probably most days. I think that's probably what gets me, but you know, my dad also, he can only sleep like three to five hours. Um, I really can only sleep five hours. It's, it's really frustrating because on the weekends I'll turn my phone off like on Sundays and I plan to sleep in. I'm thinking, finally, I'm going to sleep in past six. This is it. And I wake up at five. I wake up at four 30 and I can't do anything about it. I just, I would kill for that. (laughs) Wake up. I can't help it. Oh man. And my husband, my husband's opposite of me. He'll sleep, you know, eight, nine hours. And I'm like, you're sleeping too much. That's too much. I know. I wish I had that so bad, but I, I really function best with eight or nine hours. Like <laughs> if I don't, I I'm just like, so, so foggy, you know, that's how I feel when I sleep too much. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm tired now. I, I just can't think right. Okay. So we're respecting our sleep, respecting our sleep. And that means caffeine, watch your caffeine too. Okay. Um, that is, it is a drug. Like what people don't realize is caffeine is a drug and it's, probably the most abused drug in in the world. Um, But caffeine has a long half-life. So what that means is like, it, it takes a long time to get out of our system around 14 hours. Wow. So that meaning the half-life is seven hours. So to remove half the amount of caffeine in your system, it takes seven hours. Not sure why they measure stuff like that in chemistry, but that's that's, um, (laughs) what the, the, yeah, that's what the the half-life means. So if you are having your last drink of caffeine at 10 AM, like you're still going to have caffeine in your system at midnight. So you're not going to be able to get into a deep state of sleep. You're probably going to have trouble falling asleep. So you're probably going to get on your phone. You're going to, you know, like it just turns into this vicious cycle. So staying away from caffeine as much as possible. Um, there are, again, there is a certain phenotype that isn't affected by caffeine as much, but yeah. Okay. Who are you? Like, (laughs) so like you have great genetics. Um, so just being mindful of that, like stop going to the Starbucks drive-thru at 3 PM. Do you drink coffee at all? I do. I really like coffee, but I've, I've gone to decaf. So I love the ritual of it and there's still a little bit of caffeine in it, but like comparing the amounts, there's about 150 milligrams of caffeine in a cup of coffee. And there's about 14 milligrams in decaf. So what about something like green tea? Green tea is wonderful. It also has caffeine in it, but what it also has in it and just like black tea as well is L-theanine. It's a really stabilizing amino acid that, you know, taken in just by itself is known to help calm the nervous system and calm anxiety. So it doesn't spike you as much as just caffeine does. So, um, be mindful of the caffeine too. That's what I want to say about sleep. Okay. And then 
routine is really big. And that's like one of the hardest things for me to get adults to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) is basically parent themselves. So this is going back into that kind of like predictability, safety type feeling is giving yourself proper eating times and like actually just sitting down to eat and not doing paperwork while you're eating or texting and calling, like doing all these things. It's taking your attention away from the present moment that that affects your, your digestion. It really does. Um, slowly eating too. Like when you do take that time to eat, slow down and chew your food. That is the only like really optional part of digestion that we have control over is how long we take to chew our food. And it's so important and so highly overlooked. Um, so really setting aside regular meal times is going to change your gut health. Do you like intermittent fasting? Um, for some people, uh, I, I like eating, eating windows. I don't like the, the idea of intermittent fasting because it's not super flexible. Um, and especially not for women, uh, because of that, that kind of safety that our bodies need to have healthy hormones. So if your body thinks you're in famine and you're forcing it to be hungry until one o'clock every day, because you thought intermittent fasting was good for you, then you're, it's probably going to manifest in your hormones and your cycle. And in fact, okay. I've seen actually just recently spoke to a woman who was like intermittent fasting for two years and was wondering why her hair was falling out and, you know, it was super fatigued and was having digestive issues. And she just, she pushed through intermittent fasting because it was keeping her waistline small but it was causing all these other hormonal problems because her thyroid had just had enough. She's like, thyroid is like, I'm going offline because I've been starved for a long time. That's the same thing with like these super low carb diets, these keto diets. Like we need, we need food. We need, yeah, yeah, we need, we need, especially women, like men could probably do this all the time, but just because our hormonal systems are so delicate, we need to know that our body is safe enough to have healthy hormone production, like whether or not you're trying to procreate the, that's what these hormones baseline are here for, but they're here for so much more too. here for protecting our cardiovascular system, our nervous system, our bone health. So it's so it's like, you can make these blanket statements, but it's much more individualized than, um, than most people think. So yeah. Yeah. Just because it works for somebody else doesn't exactly. mean it's going to work for you. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I, I 100% understand that because I've tried things that I'm like, that's simple. Like the coffee and the sleep. It sometimes I, I don't want to seem like I'm showing off, but sometimes coffee <laughs> makes me sleepy. <laughs> yeah. And it, like some people it does. I just, you know, not me. So like, that's just a perfect <laughs> example of how, how different, like we're two healthy people, like we're, we just operate different. And that's, that's how it is across the board is we're all just pretty wildly different with some basic tenets that are just true is like why sleep is so important and why these routines and like teaching your nervous system to expect food and rest when, when it needs to, or when it, when it wants it. Um, otherwise it's like, well, why didn't, why didn't I get that meal? Like what, what's happening? Are we in famine again? <laughs> And then the hor- the stress hormones come and then it's just like this 
that's the domino. Yes, exactly. The whole thing. Exactly. I you reach for carbs, you reach for coffee, you know, like hot Cheetos. Yeah. <laughs> that's my weakness. <laughs> I've learned so much from you. I feel like I could keep asking you a thousand questions, but I'm going to respect your time. Before we go, can you tell us where we can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm most active on my Instagram. So that's dr underscore Morgan. Um, and then you can find me on my website at drmorganbutton.com. So it's D-R-M-O-R-G-A-N-B-U-T-T-O-N.com. And then leave us with something. I know you gave us that book, Why We Sleep. Give mm-hmm. us one more thing we can check out. Ooh, um, when is when is this airing? Probably two to three weeks. Okay. Um, Why? What do you have? (laughs) I'm hosting a (laughs) webinar next week. So um, yeah. Well, okay. (laughs) Um, I do have on my website, a a masterclass uh, from the Truth About Women's Hormone Summit that I put together over, um, that was February and into early March. And I collected 25 women's health and hormone experts from all over the world and interviewed them. So it's, it's a series of interviews and it's just jam packed with information. So I'm going to check that, that out. is, um, yeah, that's, so that's for sale on my website, but okay. if you're looking for like another book or resource, I mean, geez, I, I don't know which one to choose from. I'll tell you my favorite book one that I just like keep going back to in my own kind of healing journey. And it's more of the um, psychosomatic mental, emotional piece. And that is the truth or the dark side of the light chasers by Debbie Ford. It's um, she guides you through shadow work. And I feel like if we were in touch with our shadow and made friends with our shadow that, um, we would be so much kinder to ourselves and each other because what we, what we don't accept, we project. So I'm going to pick that one up. I found my next book. Awesome. (laughs) Have fun. It is grueling work, (laughs) but it's worth it. That's for sure.